This episode is sponsored by Patagonia. In 1972, Chenard Equipment bet the farm, urging climbers to stop using their best-selling product in order to protect the rock. Clean climbing, making the switch from pitons to chocks, fundamentally changed both the art of the sport and the ethos of the community. It was climbing's first environmental movement and instilled the values that drive Patagonia to this day. But more importantly, it was a challenge. What are climbers capable of achieving in order to protect the places we love? 50 years later, Patagonia is asking that question again. They're still committed to the vertical wilderness and putting style over summit. It's a commitment to the sport we love, their technical climb product, and the planet we're still working to save. Go to patagonia.com slash clean climbing to learn more. This episode is also sponsored by Sterling. A wet rope is heavy, hard to handle, and can be flat out dangerous. That's why Sterling developed their new line of dry climbing ropes using Zero's technology. Zeros is a whole new way to manufacture UIAA certified dry ropes that are more effective, wear resistant, better for the environment, and only available from Sterling. Visit sterlingrope.com to learn more and use the code DIRTBACK for 15% off. And you can also find these links in our show notes. Welcome to the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mihal, and I would say I'm your host today, but we actually have a special guest host, my good friend Janae Durge, who uh, says she never says her last name, and <laughs> we've been friends for years, and I've never heard her say it until this uh, podcast interview. But she has a conversation with Marcus Garcia, and Marcus Garcia is professional climber, mentor to many, many young climbers um, and some who aren't so young anymore but around Durango he's a local living legend and he's also a really good guy this was kind of on a whim I've never had a guest host for any of our episodes but Janae is kind of you know she's like my sister and what she is doing in the biking world is very much reflective of what the climbing zine is doing in the climbing world she's got her own zine the ride your bike zine she just published How to Cry in Your Bicycle. I just decided she was going to talk to Marcus anyways, and I just decided to give her a piece of recording equipment and record this conversation. And I just listened to it, and I'm so glad I did. It's very um, deep. It talks about grief. It talks about personal exploration. Probably going to shed a tear or two if you're a crier. And so just get ready for that. We have a really exciting new feature for the climbing zine. You can now subscribe to the zine and just do it once. Uh, anyone who has been a longtime subscriber of the climbing zine knows that you subscribe for a couple years and I have to email you and it's kind of annoying. We just got that new feature. Check out our store. The link is in the show notes. And I hope you all enjoy this very, very special conversation between Janae Durge and Marcus Garcia. And I also will have some dates on some events that Marcus is doing. He talks about those in the interview and we'll have some information at the end. And you can also go to our website and look in the show notes to find that information too. This episode of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast is sponsored by Kilter. Looking for a fun way to train at home or at the gym? Check out the Kilter board. The Kilter board has innovative light-up holds, a progressive app with animated functions, climbs for all abilities, and two layouts to choose from with large international online communities for each. 
There are over 66,000 problems in the original kilter board layout, and the newer home board layout comes with over 6,300 problems. You can set, tick climbs, make shareable playlists, watch send videos for motivation and beta, and even add your own videos to share with other users. The new map feature helps you find and connect to kilter boards nearest you. Kilter has multiple wall sizes and package options available, so we can help you get a kilter board in almost any space. Check out Kilter at settercloset.com and look for more information in our show notes. This episode is also sponsored by Scarpa. Scarpa's approach to climbing shoe design mirrors their approach to the pursuit of climbing itself. They strive to evolve and incorporate new ideas and techniques every step of the way. They refine their strengths, train their weaknesses, and build on each success. Scarpa has been bolstering its climbing shoe foundations by continuing to create versatile, high-quality designs that satisfy the needs of climbers across a range of disciplines and skill levels. For more information, visit scarpa.com and look for a link in our show notes. Let's get into this very deep and honest conversation. Hello. As you can tell, I am not Luke Mihal today. I am Janae Durgi, a good friend of Luke Mihal's, who is taking over the podcast for the day. I have a special guest here who many folks might know in the climbing industry, Marcus Garcia. We're going to be chatting today. Hi, Marcus. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm really excited. <laughs> I've been wanting to talk to you for so long. Yeah, I'm excited. We've had some talks over the phone, but it's good to meet in person and have a real conversation. Yes. Yeah. 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 Do you want to tell folks just a little bit about yourself? Yeah. I'm, um, you know, again, Marcus Garcia. I've been in Durango area for over 20 something years. I'm a professional athlete. I would say I'm more professional climber is what I'm more known for, but becoming more professional I just call myself a professional athlete because I do running, I do climbing, I do ice climbing, I do all everything that's outdoors adventures. <laughs> cool. Yeah. You yeah. have been all over the map lately. <laughs> I see your photo everywhere. Yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been quite busy and it seems like I'm busier and in demand more, which is great because I'm giving back to the community what really has been given back to me. So we're here in Durango, Colorado. That's how I know you. I've lived here for, gosh, 16 years, and I think you've been around for most of it. Um, yeah. And I knew you when <laughs> you opened the climbing gym. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, I think that we interviewed a couple of times. Yep, yeah. yeah. or something. Yeah, I think I, <laughs> yep, I think that might be how we met. I yeah. actually just went through the files recently, and I think the first time I interviewed you was like 2015, 2016. Oh, wow. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's been a long history, but um, yeah. yeah, the revolution has been crazy. And, and the beautiful thing about Marcus and I's relationship is that I have interviewed him a few times. So I've, I've heard a lot of his stories and, and they're great stories. And a part of it is almost comes after the climbing gym. It almost mm -hmm. comes from your transition from the climbing gym out into the world on your own. I don't know if you want to say anything about the person that you've become, the, the life that has yeah. taken over. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it, like, I guess, you know, making that transition from climbing gym owner to this not climbing gym owner, you know, it's been pretty recent, but I, I started the climbing gym more to help, um, 
give a place for kids to be able to go do things that kind of kind of gave them more of an identity in a way climbing was kind of giving me that identity but I realized like it wasn't my source of identity and over the years it kind of was asked to do some uh, a documentary that came out about me called The Mentor and when we did that documentary a lot of um, emotions actually decided like pouring out that I didn't realize I had put up on a shelf for I don't know a very long time <laughs> and that to me we was kind of like my soul search to really identify and dig down deep and I kind of come from like a scientific background I was a uh, studied biochemistry in college and kind of went into that mindset of like I got to figure out what's going on with me and and I'm kind of a I wouldn't say oh I guess I am kind of a loner it's probably why I'm still single but <laughs> I enjoy doing things on my own and really digging deep inside of me and understanding me and I think that was a source of making that transition is to really stop and think and really what makes me work, what makes me tick and how do I show up for myself so I can be able to show up for others. And once I started doing that and understanding more, my teaching became even more in depth and more people really appreciated me holding space for them and not, not just being this pro athlete, but being someone that I can empathize with them and help them understand where they are and where their identity is. I think there are two words that, that came up there, at least one that I'll start with, is empathy. That's a word that I, I think a lot about in the outdoor industry. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite a climber. I used to be a climber um, and have since retired, and I'm now into mostly biking, mountain biking, yeah. um, getting out in the outdoors, though. But you don't see a lot of empathy in the outdoor industry. There's not a lot of outward vulnerability or empathy how did you get to the point where you were able to feel comfortable or know that that's something that you wanted to, to cultivate in yourself as a person in the outdoor industry? Well, a lot of it had to do with like grief and my um, personal journey through grief and understanding that something always kept coming to my head. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey within. So like I kind of, when I started running again, I kind of quit running after I was doing a lot of adventure racing and got married and had a child. And, and then once I realized I wasn't very present with myself, so therefore I wasn't present with my partners or relationships or even like, you know, even though I was there for kids I worked with and did stuff, but I wasn't 100% present with them. So I had to really stop and really wanted to be more authentic with myself and kind of just opened up all these doors and started just breaking down the emotional process and identifying like emotional vocabulary, which I struggled with. And I think to me, that's where I was not able to be vulnerable. And for me, like the power of vulnerability is like in embracing both the physical and the emotional harm that comes with vulnerability. And as a climber and as a professional climber, I was okay being physically vulnerable, but I lacked the emotional vulnerability. And that to me was like, and interesting enough, it was when I got my daughter back after I really hadn't been with her for three years. And I wasn't able to understand where she was emotionally because I didn't understand the anxiety. I didn't understand why she felt some of these things. So I stopped and really kind of dug deep the scientists came out in me and like I really want to understand anxiety and why she had these anxious tendencies and where they were coming from and as I was doing that I was starting to see kind of things in me that I needed to open up and work on so I started working on that and doing that so to me that's where I started really embracing more vulnerability 
and it's still it's still a process but i'm pretty open now and can share things and it's slowly coming up more and more as i learn more and more about myself and i think that's the thing is learning to be kind with yourself and be patient with yourself um if you can't be kind with yourself you can't be kind with others you guys can't see me right now, but I'm nodding my head a lot. Um, it's so beautiful to hear, to hear someone open up, um, even under such dire circumstances. So there are a couple, couple other, couple things that stem off of that. Do you, do you see your outdoor experience changing in any way, or, or do you see yourself as an athlete changing in any way? The more you grow in empathy, and the more you grow in vulnerability. Yeah, I think, um, or ironically, in the climbing world as well. I mean, I'm, I definitely teach more than I actually get out and climb for myself, which is kind of interesting because before it was all about the ego was kind of kicked in and, like, I wanted to climb for myself and do these things and do these amazing things. But over time, it's like, no, I want to help others achieve what they want to do and their goals and their dreams. And interesting enough, it was when I started running again, I go back to running, and it really made me more humble because I used to be like I was I, I laugh I'm kind of one of those off the couch athletes like I never really trained <laughs> I just got up and did things and I kind of took that for granted and when I haven't ran <laughs> in so long I got off the couch and started running uh, with a friend of mine because she was training for something and like oh I just want to go out and train with her and it was like I had to like let go of this ego like oh I can do this and I got humbled quick <laughs> I'm like okay this feels good, actually. I, it actually felt good to be humble and like rethink the process and take some steps back and just work through some of the emotional struggles I was feeling with my running. Like I kept questioning myself, I kept, why am I doing this? And then I started entering these races and it wasn't about me wanting to be the fastest. It was actually just running and enjoying what I was seeing and having a good time and actually you know, sharing moments with friends. And last year I ran a race and this storm came in out of nowhere and I was running up and I came across this young woman who was stopped in her tracks and she was freezing. It was, she was so cold, blue. So I just gave her my jacket and like stopped my race to help her. And like, that is what it's about. That empathy, like empathizing with this person who's struggling. I'm not struggling, but I am gonna stop and assist her and help her. And like, to me, like, that is what it's about. And that should be what it's about in the climate world. It should be about that. But sometimes it often people want to chase these numbers and these grades and these adventures. And because it's really, it's really a selfish sport when you think about climbing itself and running itself. But climbing doesn't have to be that way. It could be about sharing moments and sharing amazing times. Sometimes it's not about sending. It could just be about sitting around a campfire. It could be setting like just supporting your partner as they're struggling through some emotional stuff. So to me, that's what it really is to be, to empathize. And that's kind of where I've really started understanding, like empathy is really important. And I understand that I'm actually em empathetic. I was just hiding it for so long because I was struggling with so much grief in my life. And once I opened up to grief, it helped. <laughs> yeah. I knew we were going to cry in <laughs> We're both criers. I cry in front of people all the time. Yeah. So that actually kind of is a perfect segue into why empathy and why. So I, f I see myself as a very empathetic, um, sensitive person in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. and, and you and I were talking about this earlier. Um, we're kind of the black sheeps. We are yeah. black sheep 
it seems like most people in the outdoor industry have a very tough outer shell and, and um, it's all about winning and sending mm-hmm. and crushing and um, <laughs> you know the in mountain biking how how fast can you go yeah. and, and um, climbing what numbers you can get and it feels lonely I guess is is um, maybe the mm-hmm. word that I'm looking for you know when I'm out biking with my friends maybe when yeah. you're out there and I'm feeling emotions and I'm feeling scared or sad or um, I cry on my mountain bike all the time. Yeah. And I do wonder what broke us open. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wonder what broke me open yeah. and if you're comfortable talking about what broke you open. Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting thing. Um, and uh, ironically, I'm doing a talk next week about this and I keep going back to it's something I haven't really talked a lot about, and it goes back to like childhood stuff, like childhood trauma, and why I was trying to understand like my emotional unavailability. <laughs> I started understanding where it was really coming from, so I started like actually open up journals that I wrote because I was a big journaler in high school, even though I hated English. I hated writing for the English teacher, but I would journal at home because I could just do me and just write me. So I actually kept all my journals and started opening them up and found uh, a bunch of quotes and that kind of stuff I was writing. I was a big, I like writing poems and I probably wasn't the best poet, but it didn't matter because it was just about expressing myself in words and they only made sense to me and that's all that mattered. Um, but then I closed that down and I tried to figure out where that was coming from and I went back to understanding like attachment theories which is interesting (laughs) relationship theories and attachment theories and it doesn't have to be about a relationship isn't about like a boyfriend girlfriend it's just a relationship with someone that's standing across the table with you how you connect with that person right and it's how you attach or how you don't attach and that kind of stuff so for me it was more I wasn't open to that I wasn't vulnerable to it I didn't want to be that emotional person because it showed me as a weak person and I think, like you were saying, is in the climbing industry or the outdoor industry, sometimes shown a sign of weakness shows that you're not able to do something. Well, that is true. When actually being actually vulnerable and having fear is actually the most courage th- courageous thing you can have, right? So, and courage is actually comes from the word of heart, right? You do things with your heart. And to me, that's what being courage, courageous is. So, um, kind of just understanding like I went back and just started looking up definitions and looking up different emotions that would come up as I was going through this grief process and you know my journey through it and it's, it's just a wave of emotions that would come up and I would sit down and stop and write what I was feeling and then I would try to research and find the words and then like oh this makes sense and I started doing that I started unfolding all these different levels or layers like an onion and then I came back to like the one thing that was standing out was my fear of rejection and abandonment, right? And in the climbing world, that's not perfect, right? And in climbing itself, we want to be, we strive for perfection in our movement. We strive for this perfect grade, this perfect route that fits us. When in reality, it's about being showing up imperfect that makes us perfect. So once I understood where my fear of abandonment and rejection came from, and it came from my mom, leaving me, you know, and feeling the pain and the rejection when I was the one person that was loving this person, who loved me the most, left me. So I carried that through relationships, through friendships, through that kind of stuff, and I was always afraid they're going to leave me. And then, oh, it would have been 98, I had a young man die in my lap after I struggled to keep him alive for hours and hours. 
and this medic shows up to do his own assessments and I kept this guy alive and coherent for four hours and the medic just just ignored me so it like rejected me and I didn't understand like why that stuck with me so bad but um yeah and I watched this guy pretty much die in my lap and I didn't realize I put that up on a shelf <laughs> like oh this is part of being outdoors I can't be weak here I'm the strong one here so I just put it away for years you know I've lost some friends over the years and in 2006 I lost my best friend my climbing partner in a climbing accident and again I kind of like showed up to be the strong one be the strong one for my family and I was recently married and I chose not to go on this trip with him and ironically we always went on this trip together and I didn't get to go on this trip with him because I was married <laughs> so and I didn't realize how much I resented my wife and child at the time because he died on that trip that I didn't get to go on so that hurt and I also felt like I brought his mom a lot of pain and suffering so I had to like learn to deal with uh, what do you call survivor's guilt and I actually had survivor's guilt from this guy who had died in my lap because why didn't that rock hit me this rock had fallen and hit him in the head and split his head open and I didn't and I was literally like two feet away from him. Like, how did that not happen to me? It happened to him, right? And so when he died, like, why did my best friend die? Why did, I should have been on that trip. I should have done this. I shouldn't have told his mom that. So I didn't realize that, and I just put it up on the shelf, and all I did for years is just, I would rewrite the story over and over. I have pages of um, entries into my computer. I would just sit there every year and write this story out from the moment I heard the news to the moment I showed up to find his body to the moment, like, to the funeral. And then it's kind of put it away over the years, and then, like, two years later, I lost my nephew, who lived with me, and he became more like my son, and he was 19 and died, so it's like I lost that. <laughs> and then over the years, I lost friends in the climbing industry and that kind of stuff, so I kind of, like, understanding where lost, and I didn't understand why I felt like I was being abandoned, rejected by all these people I was losing right and all these emotions then once I understood where it was actually coming from and then I was able to have a really empathetic talk with that six you know sixth grade child and like oh it's you're, it's not you it's okay <laughs> so and I didn't realize that until I went on a run one day and like you like you you, you recall you you cry on your bike a lot I cry a lot when I go running <laughs> play some music like oh that makes sense <laughs> and I just remember going on this run and like literally stopped and cried for like 30 minutes. And it just came to me like, aha, it's the ban of rejection um, that I fear. And that's what I fear the most. And that's what's keeping me from being really true to me. Right. I'm afraid to talk to others. and I'm afraid to share things with others because I'm afraid they're going to leave me and reject me. So I'm like, oh, I just let it go. I literally like, let it go on that run. And I carried on for like five more miles. And I came down and I called a friend. I'm like, you won't believe. Like, I know what's, I know what's wrong. <laughs> I get it. I understand me now. <laughs> it's like instant. And ever since then, I've just been slowly just kind of opening up more and, and mm. sharing my story. And I realize it's, it's, it makes a difference. And for somebody of not so much like my stature, but like who I am as an athlete and what I do, for them to have a voice that can speak for them, it allows them to be able to speak for themselves. And that, that is the most powerful thing you can do. And that's what part of being a mentor is about. Yeah. Uh, Marcus, 
first of all. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um, that's a lot. That's huge. It's, that's yeah, huge. <laughs> that's um, I think anyone would break open at any point during that. And my whole entire heart goes out to you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you feel and how do you feel when and if people connect to you? And actually, you know what? First, um, really quickly, yeah. will you kind of give a summary? Because I know you've been giving these talks. Mm-hmm. Um, will you give kind of a short summary about these talks that you've been giving? Yes. Yeah, so my, well, my, the talks I give is, is about my personal journey of healing through grief. So it's like how I share, basically kind of, a, um, in short version, it's just me sharing how I move through the grief process, you know, and, and like, um, and you don't really heal from grief. It's always a part of you and you have to accept that. And if you don't accept it, you're fighting it and you're never really going to heal from it. So it's just, and I mean, again, you're not really healing from it. You're just being, becoming part of you and you're learning how to process the emotions, right? You're not learning, you're not being trapped in the emotions. Um, and that's kind of what I share in my talks is about, my personal um, journey through it. And it's, it's my journey. And it's not going to be the, the same for everybody. We all grieve a little bit different. Um, and a lot of us actually fear grief. We fear talking about it. And that's what I don't want to do. I want to talk about it. I've struggled with a lot of loss in my life. And I didn't realize I was actually, it was actually hurting me to not talk about it. And I'm not, I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to. And I want other people to have some of the pain I've had. So these talks are about that. And they're becoming, they are emotionally drained for me. It's like I've been crying here a couple of times. And that is pretty, it's pretty emotional because there's these photos I've taken. I have a photo of my uh, dad who was in a hospital bed. And that's how kind of how I start to talk off. And it's like I show up and he was in a coma. And, you know, it's, I was told he was gonna, not going to make it to the day. So I flew down there to see him, but I couldn't even like come up, like and give my brother a hug who was over there crying. I didn't, I couldn't empathize with him, right? And I struggled with that, and I shot this photo and I walked away, and that's the only way I could connect. And I didn't know why. I did this, it hurt, <laughs> right? And then like a couple of months later, um, I was going to go do a talk about mentoring, and ironically, the first ten minutes of it was about my mom. And ironically, when I've landed in Washington, D.C., my mom passed away. I literally just talked to her that morning. So I had to get on stage and talk in front of like 300 people. And the first 15, 10, 15 minutes is about my mom. But I couldn't even like, it even phase me. And I realized like, and I got back to my hotel room and I, I cried. But I was all alone in this hotel room. And like, oh, my mom died. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> oh, I got to go into like. You know, I'm the strong one, so I got, like, got my flight arranged to fly down to the, or help arrange the funerals, and I literally flew off to go do another clinic, came back, went to the funeral, gave this eulogy of my mom, and didn't even realize I, I didn't even cry. I couldn't empathize, like, with everybody else. They're like, oh, it's just part of life. And, and then I realized later, like, oh, no, I didn't even, like, I couldn't even mourn my own mom's death right at the time because I was so stuck in this emotional um I don't know what do you call it? emotional dead space 
<laughs> right? I couldn't even hold space for that because I was so worried about other things and that stuff. So then I, once I slowed down and stopped and started understanding, then I started empathizing. And it, it, there's a lot more too. I go into and just talk about that relationship with my mom about the abandonment, about the rejection, which at the time I didn't know about, but now I understand. And then I had to understand why my mom chose that way, why this happened. And once I understood her as a person emotionally, I can empathize with her. And that's where the power of empathizing allows you to forgive. And I think grief is a huge part. Forgiving is a huge part of grief. It's one of the biggest things to learn to move through to grief is forgiving yourself, fulfilling these things. Yeah. So... I did see one of your presentations early on mm -hmm. here in Durango. <laughs> and uh, again, I'm not shy to cry in public. And I was bawling <laughs> in a big, um, it was at a local brewery. There were tons of people there. And I was just standing there next to my friends, trying not to make too much noise. I didn't want anyone to know that I was crying and wiping away tears. And it was so beautiful. It was, oh, yeah, you. it was such a beautiful presentation. Yeah. And, I don't think you showed the entire film, but maybe you showed snippets of The Mentor. Yeah, a little bit, and then the presentation I do now, that one, you know, was more geared toward Durango and the community, and this one I do now is, it's a really deep and definitely pretty vulnerable, and it's pretty emotional. Cool. And it takes me a couple of days to recover, usually, when I talk about it, and, like, I gotta, like, sometimes I just go out and go run, or yeah. go climbing, um, kind of usually sometimes by myself, and... I, <laughs> Ironically, I've been climbing more by myself than, than anything, and I don't know why. I love to climb with people, so <laughs> anybody wants to climb or yeah. run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's that actually opens up a can of worms. But um, before <laughs> before we move on from that, um, how do you feel like people are responding to your talks? Yeah, I mean, the, oh man, this could be emotional too. Um, the last talk I did was in March, in um, it was a group of mountaineers from the AAC, the American Alpine Club, or not actually, actually not the American Alpine Club, the CC Colorado Mountain Club. <laughs> yes, so it was a group of them there, and um, my actually ex-wife and my daughter came, and they've never actually seen one of my talks. <laughs> so that was, and one and another one of my best friends, who's known me for like thirty something years, came. He's never actually heard me talk. So that was pretty powerful but and then I get up and I actually talk about my ex-wife and I talk about you know one of the things I did lose was I woke up a couple of days before Christmas and she was gone my daughter and her were gone they just, I didn't know where they were I you know and I talk about that and they were very receptive of it and later on during the Q&A my daughter stood up and she never talks in front of people and that was like a huge like proud dad moment <laughs> at the same time but and she's like, well, how do you feel forgiving is part of grieving? And I was like, well, it was hard. Because I had to forgive my own resentment. Holy shit. <laughs> right? And she had to forgive me for feeling that. <laughs> so it was pretty hard. Do you think that that medium was almost easier for her to be able to ask you that question? I think it, I think it was. And, and also, 
her and I have really worked on our relationship. Like we have an amazing father daughter relationship, almost best friend kind of thing. We can talk about anything. And I think that this goes to show like if you do the work, it pays off. Right. And you focus on the process and not the end results, but just the process, the journey within is key. And also in, in that talk too, like as far as going back and answering your question is um, how receptive people are like, it was the first time I saw more people, guys, actually stood up and shared their stories. There were guys crying at the talk and sharing their stories. And like two, a girlfriend and a wife came over and gave me a big hug and thanking me for allowing their husbands to be open or their boyfriends to be open. <laughs> so it's huge. And the very first time I did this talk, uh, the second time, one was in Durango, the second time was in Seattle at Seattle Bouldering Club and I was doing this talk and all of a sudden the microphone quit working so I had to like I don't have a loud voice but I had to speak louder and I looked out the corner of my eye and there was this young woman who wasn't part of their she was just there cleaning tables and the, but she just like stopped and sat down and I could see her and she made eye contact with me and I was just watching her but then I started giving my own talk and then after that she came over and she was crying and she gave me a big hug and says, thank you so much. You made me have a voice. So like that was pretty powerful. I'm like, that's what you do. And like, and ever since then I do these talks, some people will speak up at the presentations and some people actually may just send a message. And like, that's still okay. That's still using your voice, you know? And, and just that little bit, even if it touch one or two people, that's powerful. So, yeah. So I, like, like I've already mentioned, um, I'm not necessarily that shy about <laughs> crying on my bicycle yeah. or, um, you know, it is, it's a scary process though. I know at least for me personally, um, it's very similar. I was totally closed off for a long time. Mm -hmm. That was my persona, especially in Durango, Colorado, which is a very mm. outdoorsy place, and everyone around here is revered for being tough and cool, and um, I had, I tried putting that persona on, and it's taken a lot of effort to mm. almost remove that and to, you know, slowly reveal the softer side. Yeah. Um, did you have an experience with people who you knew before your revelations who maybe reacted to you differently? Or did you have any fears or struggles kind of opening yourself up? Yeah, you know, um, again, going back to my presentation, like one of the things I talk about is fear of judgment, right? Um, that was a huge thing I didn't realize I did struggle with. I, did struggle with and so it was really it was really scary to put myself out there and to do these talks and actually even post on social media and, and I mean one time I kind of posted some stuff and this guy kind of reached out like quit being a pussy or quit being this you know you're you're sh don't be you're shame or I forgot the exact word but anyways it wasn't a very nice word so I deleted and blocked him. <laughs> so that's the power you have. <laughs> you can like block him. Like, oh, you, your words don't mean anything. So, <laughs> right. Um, but I did take it to heart and like, oh, am I? So I, you know, over the years I had to question myself. But now I, if I post something or do something, I kind of think about how is this going to affect somebody and how is this going to affect me? And 
I don't just share random stuff like selfies of me. I, I share something like, oh, this is what I'm doing. This is what's important. This is what's powerful. And I hope it inspires you to open up and be okay to share something. And it slowly has. And I've been slowly putting stuff out there. And um, interesting enough, I'm going to try to do, I have a story I wrote that came out in Rock and Ice that I, a lot of people, I don't know if some people may have read it, some people may not have. Um, but it's a pretty powerful, emotional story. And um, I've tried to been dabbling in writing, and I want to open that stuff up. And that's one of the things I'm always afraid of, too, is that fear of judgment is being a writer. I used to be a writer, and then I stopped. <laughs> and because I didn't feel like I had anything to say. But, like, no, actually, I do have a lot to say. And people want to hear my story. And I've been getting that more and more, and I do these clinics. I'm like, oh, why don't you write a book? I'm like, Oh, well, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of work, a lot of commitment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm getting better at being committing, <laughs> but I'm a procrastinator, <laughs> and I'm not a planner, so those don't work together. <laughs> so I struggle with that. So I need to be a planner. I need to be, a, oh, I need to be better at planning and not procrastinating as much. I call this uh, the shooting, yeah. the shooting portion of the conversation yeah, where we start saying that we should do things. This is a should-free area. <laughs> exactly, should-free area. Should do this. But it's not working right now, so it's okay. And it's on me. I need to own that. So, yeah. so you're, um, you're a pretty good photographer also, <laughs> yeah, which is... I dabble. Which is also, oh, you do more than dabble. Yeah, the, if you have Googled Marcus, obviously you've mostly seen his climbing, but you've probably seen some of his photos too. He takes amazing photos. Thank you. Um, Makes me blush. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful photos. That's a very vulnerable, yeah. a vulnerable thing to share photos. It's very similar to writing. It's mm-hmm. Not quite as detailed or poignant, but um, as also a fellow photographer, you put a photo out there, you're open for criticism, yeah. especially if you put your heart and soul into that photo. Mm-hmm. So um, how's that experience been being a photographer? It's slowly, I'm slowly opening up that door more and more as people are like, oh, you should do this. And I, I've learned, or literally in the last year, I'm pretty introverted. I didn't realize how introverted I was because I'm always doing these social things and like, no, when I'm alone, I kind of like that. <laughs> Not that I want to be alone, but I enjoy my alone time. So I think sharing that other part of me kind of like digs into that introverted side of me. And I have to like, I'm learning how to be open and let it go. And again, I do have some cool stuff to share. And slowly, I am putting it out there and I'm okay with it. And it feels good when I get the recognition sometimes people if they don't like it the power of social media is like well you can delete him or block him or like well i don't know you so who cares <laughs> and that's i think that is the most important part of us is in a social environment is to learn to who gives a fuck <laughs> right that's my favorite phrase <laughs> <laughs> yeah right so if we can just embrace that and say it it's good yeah. it doesn't mean you can't go in the car and scream yeah. <laughs> but on your bike and scream or yeah. cry. But for me, sometimes I get in a truck and like, ah, oh, you know, scream. Roll up the window. Okay, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Roll up the windows. Yeah. I don't do it on the trail. Some people might take offense, but. Right, they could get scared, yeah. call 911. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be careful but, where you scream. Yeah. <laughs> but I do it in the safety of my car. There you <laughs> so go. Go. Yeah. 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 go park in a Walmart parking lot. Exactly. And just yell your head off. <laughs> 
Do you have any advice for, advice, I don't know if I want to use the word advice, but every, everyone, in my opinion, should, should, there we go, shitting Shitty. again. Um, everyone is human. Mm-hmm. We're humans, mm-hmm. all of us. And being a part of, being a human means that you have emotions. Mm-hmm. No human is walking this planet without emotions right. and without mm-hmm. feeling things and without experiencing grief or love or um, all these things that I, in my opinion, we should be showing more of. Um, If you were to be able to sit somebody down, maybe one of your guests at your talks Mm -hmm. who wants to explore more of being an emotional human in the outdoor industry specifically, surrounded by the bros and the bras (laughs) and the egos, um, what would you say to them? Yeah, that's, as our human nature, we're we're programmed to connect. And one of the key things about connecting with somebody is being vulnerable, right? So my thing is to open yourself up and, and just try to be vulnerable. Try not just so much the physical side, the emotional side. And that's where you find true connection. And some people, it will scare some people away, but that's okay, because then you know they're not ready for your, what you have to offer, right? And when somebody fully embraces that connection, that's where you make a difference. So I think it's really, I think the best advice, or not even advice, I guess words of wisdom, is to you know, embrace connection, and connection comes from being vulnerable and come from the place of your heart, not so much with the ego. And, and we need to do that with everything we do in life. And if that has to do with climbing, climb because your heart says you want to do it, not because it's a grade you want to find, right? It's about or, or the bike or climb this hill or ride down this hill. It's about, like, what it gives you, the feeling, the freedom, you know. And sometimes it does bring you grief, but embrace that and process through it and understand, like, oh, this is going to make me stronger because I understand the emotional side it's given me. So I think the power of just human connection. Yeah. Great. Well, um, I think that is a perfect way and a perfect spot to leave people. Um, at least for me, I know every time I talk to you, I gain more and more knowledge. Yeah. You're filled with golden nuggets. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, for being a part of my black sheep. <laughs> no, I love it. I love, uh, enjoy talking with you. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm going to let Luke take it from here and thanks y'all for listening and go, go cry on your bike or go cry on the trail, the trail or, or at the crag or at the crag, go scream in your car, whatever you yeah. want. All right. Thank you. That was episode three of season four. Thanks again for to Janae for doing that, for being our first ever, ever special guest host. If you'd like to learn uh, more about Marcus and see one of his events, he's doing a talk September 13th in Uray and October 5th in Durango and Salt Lake City on October 12th. You can find more information on Marcus's social media. He's not hard to find. Music for this episode is from Devin Dabney and our digital editor and producer is Chad Rich and I'm Luke Mihal signing off from beautiful Durango, Colorado. Peace. Peace.
Thank you.